Well, um, I think this is part four of a series that I began about two years ago, and I don't. I think it's 12 months since I did the last one, so I'm, I'm sure you all remember what uh, chapter three was all about. Um, so perhaps, perhaps uh, just in case, I'll just remind you uh, a bit of it. Um, in chapter three, Paul talks about the glory of the old covenant. Uh, so, you know, the old covenant, even though it's been superseded, it, it, it did have a glory of its own. The law, it, it, even though the law condemns us, it, had, it is a, a glorious thing. It came from God. However, the new covenant has a surpassing glory uh, because, it, because it brings righteousness. So um, Moses brought the, the, uh, the old covenant. He brought the law. And uh, you might remember that when he came down from Mount Sinai, his face shone because he'd been in the presence of God who was passing on this great law and he had to put a veil over his head because the, the glory of, of, the sh of his shining face was too much for the people of Israel. But it slowly faded away. And uh, Paul makes a comparison with that and, and, and the Old Testament law is that that veil is still in place when uh, his fellow people, the Jews, when they hear the, the law read, they, it is as if, as if the veil is still there. They do not see the, the glory of God in the, in the light of Christ. So that's kind of where we're coming from when Paul starts off that through God's mercy we have this, this ministry, this ministry that this ministry of the new covenant. And this passage that uh, you may have noticed that it's kind of bookended by uh, two, two lines. We do not lose heart. It's, it's right at the start and it's, and it's in, the, um, in verse 16 as well. We do not lose heart. There's, there's so many things opposing us in, in Christian ministry and there's so much op opposed opposition to the gospel and, 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 and there's just so much disinterest in the gospel of people that just don't care, uh, which can be very disheartening and it must have been just as disheartening for Paul. So we do not lose heart. We have this ministry. We are the aroma of Christ, in fact, in, in chapter 2 is what how Paul described it. We, we smell like Christ uh, to, 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 to people that are being saved. However, to those who are, uh, who are perishing, we smell like death. Uh, you know, it's no wonder that, that sometimes people don't like the message if you're trying to to tell someone about the gospel and they don't seem very interested and they just want to get away, well, it's no wonder. It's because you smell like death to them. Uh, and then it's no wonder also that when you meet Christians who you you know, in some out-of-the-way place where you weren't expecting to, that you get quite excited about it because they smell like life. They, they have the fragrance of life. However, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word as... Uh, as Paul also describes it in that passage, we don't have to sell the gospel. It sells itself uh, as God's spirit works in people. Uh, you know, we're not like so many salesmen trying to, to sell vacuum cleaners or encyclopedias or whatever. We have, we have this wonderful thing, the gospel. We're not like a, a politician. I mean, I don't want to demean politicians. I, I believe that most politicians are, are good people trying to do their best for us. But... You know, we all know that, that, that some of them fall. 
and, uh, and they tell us things that aren't true in order to get our votes. That's not how we should be with the gospel. We, we always need to be totally um, honest and truthful. So the ministry that Paul has received then through God's mercy, it is a ministry that was directly given to him by God to lead people from death to life. Um, it often seems that, that to us, to me anyway, that most people don't actually want to know this, uh, but as Paul says, we do not lose heart. The message that Paul had and that we have uh, is that it's the most important news that you will ever hear by a long way. You know, I went to a, a funeral once where the, uh, the man who died was, uh, was a churchgoer and uh, in the eulogy it was said that, that he didn't like people who took their religion too seriously. Oh, you know, I've got this, uh, I've got this message for you that actually you, you're going to hell and you're going to suffer forever, but all you have to do to get out of it is this, and you'll have the most fantastic life which will last forever. But look, don't worry about it, it's not that important. It's kind of what they were saying. How can you take it too seriously? This, uh, this, 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 this is it. So we do not lose heart, because God is on our side. We refuse to practice cunning is the word that Paul uses here. And it's actually the same word that he uses in chapter 11 when he's talking about how Eve was deceived by the serpent. So we don't, we don't use those sort of techniques like, like Satan used on, the, uh, on Eve. We always tell the truth. We don't tamper with God's word like, say, the Jehovah's Witnesses have who just changed a few words here and there. Not very much, just a little bit. Uh, a friend of mine was quite pleased with himself that he'd bought a cheap Bible in an op shop and I had a look at it and it was, uh, it was the Jehovah's Witness translation. I said, read to me chapter 1 of John. He did and, and he said, oh, yeah. They just changed the odd word and it completely demeans the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't tamper with God's word. There's always been those who alter the word, word of God ever since the beginning for their own purposes as, as Satan did. He twisted the word of God just to suit their own form. But I guess what's actually become the common thing nowadays is just to ignore it altogether. Don't, don't give it any account. By the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience, verse 2. It's the preacher's duty or, or any Christian's duty to not only um, use the truth when dealing with the gospel, uh, you might, if you've been here the last two weeks, which I don't think most of you were, but uh, John has been preaching on, on the second letter of John, where the thing that is that it, that, it, that uh, John talks about and, uh, and majors on and, and emphasizes is that in everything, what is important is love and truth. The truth, truth actually matters. You know, we can't fiddle with the truth. We can't uh, fray it at the edges. It's got to be the truth in love. If we use half-truths and lies, if we, if we water down the truth so that, it, you know, so that it doesn't say things that might offend people, um, you know, even if it appears that by doing that people are converted, then we not only damage the people who hear, we damage our own conscience. You know, I, uh, y years ago, Shelley and I, when we were 
brand new Christians, we went. I heard a, uh, we heard this guy preaching, uh, and I think it, you know, just I give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he meant well, but he just got it completely wrong. And he was pre- preaching on chapter three, and uh, in verse three it says, "You show that." talking about the people of Corinth he says you show that you are a letter from Christ the result of our ministry written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human heart now he, he the point of whole point of his sermon was that we actually we shouldn't we shouldn't use the Bible to, to uh, establish things that are true we should we should go by what the spirit's telling us you know um, that at the time, I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds reasonable. But, of course, what the tablets of stone Paul was, talk- was talking about here is the, is the uh, law as it was handed down. Um, that's, the, that's the ministry that brought death and condemnation. And so he's saying that the new, this ministry of the Spirit brings life. But it doesn't mean that, th- that the Bible is, uh, is somehow then suspect and that we should just say, oh, well, I feel like this is true and say the Bible says something different. No, that's not the way we should go. The Bible is the product of the Holy Spirit. He produced it. He will not contradict himself. And it might seem strange that to us that um, that the gospel is veiled. Uh, you know, why would God do that? Um, but p- people don't get it. Uh, it is veiled. Uh, it, Paul calls it veiled because it is. It is hidden. It is hidden from those to whom God has not revealed it to. Because the default state of man, the, the, the state that we were all in, is that we are blinded by the God of this world. Um, it's like Jesus telling the parable of the sower, that we're, we're like the seed growing among thorns. We're distracted by the things of this world. And even if the seed takes root, it is, it is choked out by the by the, 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 the pleasures and the, the, the attractions of this world. The gospel, I think, has always been more openly received by those who have nothing, because um, they have nothing to lose. But being, being blinded to the gospel produces darkness, and there is only one cure for darkness, and that is light. The light of the gospel of the glory, glory of Christ, in verse 4. There's just so many biblical references we could go to here. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, going right back to Genesis. You know, I was standing out in the sun the other day and uh, thinking, oh, well, like, like in Revelation, it tells us that, uh, that in, in uh, the new creation in heaven, there'll be no, uh, no night. And yet in, we're in, living in Australia in summer, I actually look forward, well I do, I look forward to the night time because the sun goes down and it's not so hot. But that's because we're, we're thinking of the wrong source of the light, isn't it? We're thinking of the sun and the sun is hot, but, but in heaven there is no need of the sun or the moon or anything because the light comes from God. Um, it's not, not like the sun. And that same God is, is ready and willing to shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ into our hearts. Now, there's a big sentence, isn't it? That's it's kind of reflecting back on what Paul saw on the on the road to Damascus. He was blinded by this amazing light that suddenly knocked him off his horse, and and, and he was blinded and couldn't see. But but in that blinding light, what he did see was the face of Jesus Christ, and he knew that it came from God. 
He shone that into our hearts. We cannot have a complete knowledge of God unless he shows it to us. Without Jesus, we're like, we're like the men of Athens who, in, um, who Paul was speaking to in chapter 17 of Acts. They did nothing all day but listen to the latest ideas. They wanted their ears tickled. Um, but Paul says here that, that we proclaim not ourselves, not our own ideas, but Jesus Christ as Lord. So God has put this treasure, a treasure of unmeasurable value, something we just no, no amount of money could buy. He's put, it, he's put it into our hearts and we carry it around in these jars of clay, as he refers it to, because they can be broken. Our sinful broken bodies, which are kicked around and mistreated by the world and the devil, but then... Later in this letter, Paul reminds us that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. We're afflicted in every way, verse 8. Things do go wrong for Christians. We all know that. Things go very wrong, but we are not crushed. I, I've known, I know a bloke who was, um, oh, he's my uncle, and his son died of cancer at a very young age. And it was the most appalling thing. And he's a good Christian man. And it nearly crushed him. It nearly did, but it didn't. It's a sign of, of great Christian maturity that we are not crushed. We might be driven to despair, but we don't give up. Sometimes we just don't understand why God is doing what he's doing. You know, I think a lot of us thought when the same-sex marriage plebiscite was on a couple of years ago that that God would would not let that get up but he did he allowed it to we don't understand why but we are mature Christians and so we don't despair we don't give up we're persecuted but not forsaken I read in the Barnabas magazine about a lady in Indonesia in an Indonesian church that was bombed a couple of years ago when uh, the bomb went off very close to her and she said that she was, she was in church to keep her mother happy. She wasn't a Christian. But in the, in the agony and the misery of that, she has become a Christian. And now she says she wouldn't have had it any other way, even though she spent months in hospital. She was struck down but not destroyed. The jars of clay can be smashed to pieces. But the treasure they contain cannot never be destroyed. And so we carry around with us the death of Jesus. It is, it is because it's our only hope. It's our only hope for life because Jesus lives. If he hadn't died, he couldn't come back from death. But he did. And so we know that the God who raised Jesus is able also to raise us. And so we proudly and confidently carry his death around in our bodies. For he died, not for no purpose, he died for me in my place to turn aside God's righteous anger. God was right to be angry with us. And so Jesus' death was a propitiation, an atonement. He God would have been com acting in complete righteousness and justiceness if he'd sent us all to hell, if he'd demanded that I die a cruel death and then suffer eternally. But instead, Jesus died in my place, 
and God's anger against me has been turned away. And the life of Jesus is shown in our bodies. He has more than enough life in him to drag us through that last frontier to cross over Jordan and out the other side into glorious life. So, so Paul says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Because death is at work in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, 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 because death is at work in Paul, in the, as in Jesus' death that he carries around with him, therefore the people of Corinth have life. He and Timothy carry around the death of Jesus as the foundation of their ministry. For I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus and him crucified. And as a result of Paul's preaching, the church of Corinth carries around the life of Jesus and Paul preached what, what he believed. I believed and so I spoke, quoting from Psalm 116. Paul really is the textbook example of being blind and then seeing. On the road to Damascus, he changed from being a defender of what he sincerely believed to be the truth uh, because his mind was veiled you know, we can be very sincere and be very wrong. And he changed to knowing the truth because God revealed the truth to him. And Paul became the great apologist for Christianity based on the Old Testament. He, he saw that, th and this is quite important, he, he saw that Jesus was not starting some new religion, but he was completing the old one. In that sense, we probably shouldn't say that we are, that the church is the new Israel, but rather we're the continuation of the old one because we continue the faith of Abraham. We, we, we are grafted in branches, but we're grafted onto the old rootstock, the, the very old tree that goes right back to, to Abel and, and Noah and, and Abraham and David. For what purpose has all this happened? Well, it's there, there in verse 15, and it's all for your sake. It's for our sake. But it's also, more importantly, as grace extends to more and more people, then thanksgiving also increases, and so God's glory also increases. So towards the end there, again, we come to this line, we do not lose heart. Although outwardly we are... We are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We all, I hope you all know the truth of that. I mean, you all know the truth about wasting away. Well, you should. But we are actually being renewed day by day. So this, these light and momentary troubles, Paul calls them, are preparing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Anything that happens to us in this life is nothing compared to to what we are going to. And so we fix our eyes on what is seen, um, on what is not seen. Because the things that we can see are just temporary. They're fading away. They don't last long. It's one, one of the great lines I learnt from my, my colleague Eric when he was preaching was that, how do you tell what's important? How long does it last? The things that last a long time are what are important. All trials have a purpose and we don't want to get to like this life too much. You know, God has been so good to, to most of us. 
to all of us, in just in material things, I mean. Even if we have nothing, we're wealthy compared to, to most of the world, just by living where we live. So then, we do not lose heart. We should always look to eternity with hope. This brief, brief little flicker of earthly life will soon be gone and we will find ourselves perhaps struggling to, to cross over Jordan, thinking we're going to drown and we might not make it. But then the everlasting arms will pick us up and carry us over to that great hope. Do not lose heart. Amen. Thank you for bringing us the word this morning, Phil. And yeah, I'd encourage us all as we go during this week to keep.